Hello, and welcome to Macro Horizons High Quality Spreads for the week of November 18th, Spread Immunity. I'm your host, Dan Creator, here with Dan Belton, as we discuss the spread market reaction to recent vaccine headlines, as well as our outlook for the market in both the near term and long term. Finally, we conclude by discussing some very recent headlines surrounding the LIBOR silver transition that could have major repercussions for the market ahead of year end. Each week, we offer our view on credit spreads, ranging from the highest quality sectors such as agencies and SSAs to investment-grade corporates. We also focus on U.S. dollar swap spreads and all the factors that entails, including funding markets, cross-currency markets, and the transition from LIBOR to SOFR. The topics that come up most frequently in conversations with clients and listeners form the basis for each episode, so please don't hesitate to reach out to us with questions or topics you would like to hear discussed. We can be found on Bloomberg or emailed directly at dan.creter, K-R-I-E-T-E-R, at bmo.com. We value and greatly appreciate your input. The views expressed here are those of the participants and not those of BMO Capital Markets, its affiliates, or subsidiaries. Well, Dan, it's been two weeks since our last podcast recording. We had a monthly macro uh, episode with the whole team last week. And in the two weeks since we've recorded, spreads are 10 basis points narrower, almost 15 basis points narrower on the month of November as a whole. Obviously, the driving factor behind that spread narrowing is vaccine headlines that have hit in the time since our last recording, most specifically the Pfizer vaccine news that came out last Monday. We saw the largest single-day narrowing in credit spread since mid-June, with the broad index moving about four to five basis points narrower to a new post-pandemic low around 110 basis points. But even that level is still 10 to 12 basis points above where spreads were before the pandemic started, and we're still sort of struggling to get back to those pre-pandemic levels. Yeah, Dan, we're continuing to see this push-pull dynamic that we've seen for the majority of the pandemic with respect to spreads. But I think both forces are stronger this time around. So on one hand, you have great vaccine news, like you mentioned, over 90% effectiveness in both the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines, which is far greater than I think most in the market anticipated. But then on the other hand, the near-term infection rates are at all-time highs, greater than we saw even in the late spring. And so the market continues to struggle with the extent to which it can look beyond this near-term bad news and into the future of a post-pandemic world where we're expecting a very narrow spread environment. Yeah, and I like your characterization of it as sort of a seesaw. It does feel like every day either we're trading better vaccine news or we're trading uh, pessimism surrounding virus transmission and renewed potential for lockdowns. So what it really comes down to, what does the near-term path of credit spreads depend upon? Like you said, is the market willing to look past what's by all accounts expected to be a very harsh winter? Or will some of the economic reality of the pandemic uh, start to factor into credit spreads more meaningfully as temperatures continue to drop? I think to characterize our view, as long as the Fed keeps monetary policy accommodation at unprecedented levels, as long as liquidity is still extremely abundant, it seems more likely to me that market participants would be willing to look through the near-term headwinds of coronavirus slash potential for renewed lockdowns. And we came up with a list of five reasons for why we think that. And I'll just start with the first one. And and it's it's pretty simple, just that many of the businesses most at risk of going bankrupt have already gone bankrupt. During the first wave of the coronavirus, uh, any marginal business that was likely struggling heading into the pandemic, this may have been the coup de grace, and they went bankrupt. But now the businesses that have made it through until today theoretically are in a stronger financial position and more able to weather the storm that's happened already and maybe coming again in the winter months. 
Dan, what's another reason to think that investors may be willing to look past increased infections to a, to a brighter 2021? Yeah. So now that we've been living with this pandemic for the better part of eight months now, I think there's a sense that businesses and individuals have been able to adapt to this new environment and better equipped to carry out commerce during this lockdown. I think when you think back to March, we didn't have face masks. The concept of social distancing was very new to us. And the fact that mortality rates were so much higher in March than they seem to be at this point made the concept of going out and living everyday life as normal uh, to be a little bit less desirable. So I think there's a greater potential that people and businesses are going to be able to operate amidst these rising infection rates during the winter, even if it won't resemble anything like normal in the near term. And another important reason I think that goes into our view is that this vaccine news now really provides businesses with the first real tangible light at the end of the tunnel. And that could manifest itself in businesses taking whatever means necessary in order to bridge the time gap between now and when vaccines are expected to give us a, a greater semblance of normal. And this is something that we and the Fed have talked about a few times. Chairman Powell has been questioned repeatedly on Main Street Lending Facility and why take-up has been so low. And one of his main answers is that, well, some businesses, the answer might not be more loans. It might be grants or some other type of relief that these businesses need. Well, if now you actually think that you're going to get back to normal in early to mid-2021, maybe now you will go get that loan. If the cost of servicing that loan is less than the cost of having to close down your business, surrender your lease, and then having to incur setup costs for any potential reopening when things do go back to normal, it just seems that uh, now businesses will be more incentivized to do what it takes to stay in business. And that helps the employment picture and ultimately helps investors look past the near-term uncertainty to a more normal 2021. And it's also worth mentioning that it's not just from potential for vaccines. Another reason could come in the form of additional stimulus. Yeah, so fiscal stimulus is another reason that I think the market could look beyond these near-term increases in infection rates. Fiscal stimulus has consistently disappointed the market since about late summer when Congress was unable to strike a deal and then more recently leading up to the election when there was some hope for stimulus that again failed. Now there's very little expectation for fiscal stimulus in this current lame duck period, but it seems like rhetoric coming out of Washington seems to support the notion that we could get some deal before the Biden administration takes office. Now, we won't see a significant bill in the magnitude of the two or 2.2 trillion like was discussed before the election. But relative to what's priced, I think even a several hundred billion or one trillion dollar bill uh, could be passed in the next couple of weeks. And I think that would be well received by the market. Yeah, I think now we might be actually reaching a point where stimulus is underpriced for the first time in this cycle and is actually more likely to deliver an upside surprise to the market than a further disappointment. And then lastly, I'll just provide one more reason for why we think investors will continue to look through near-term uncertainty. And that's just that some of it should be already priced. I mean, for months now, a significant second wave has always been the most likely outcome once winter hit the Northern Hemisphere. And for sure, the second wave could end up being more severe than the market is or has been anticipating. But at least some degree of wider virus transmission had to have been assumed. So said differently, some of this isn't a big surprise, and we wouldn't expect to see risk ads reacting very negatively to it. And, and so far, that's been mostly the case. Now, obviously, it goes without saying really that the path to narrower spreads isn't going to be a straight line. We're going to see, you know, bouts of volatility when there are particularly negative headlines, when 
things like new lockdowns are instituted and things of that nature. But we have to continue looking at those as buying opportunities. I mean, we just talked about spreads trading at about 110, 111 basis points on the index. That's still above pre-pandemic levels. And as the long-term environment, the view for next year starts to come more clearly into focus and vaccine headlines remain supportive, I think that by the end of the year, we could easily get back down to those pre-pandemic spread levels in the upper 90s. And then looking into 2021, some of the longer term spreads of the last five years and things of that nature, those are on the table. But that's for next year. We'll have plenty of time to talk about that. But in the next five weeks, I really think we could see a move back in line with those pre-pandemic spreads. So the question we always like to ask ourselves is, how could we be wrong or what is the main risk that that view faces? Yeah, Dan, I agree. When thinking about our base case in the year end, it's really only another 15 basis points of narrowing to get to these pre-pandemic levels. And that's, like you mentioned earlier, that's about the size of the move we saw just in the first couple of weeks of November alone. But obviously that kind of narrowing over the next six weeks into year end is not a foregone conclusion. The biggest risk I see is the potential for monetary policy to underwhelm. And that wouldn't necessarily come from the Federal Reserve alone. When we look at these Fed emergency lending programs, most notably the corporate credit facilities, those are set to expire at the end of this year, and they require approval from Treasury to be extended, not just a sign-off from Chair Powell. So there's potential that this lame duck Treasury Department does not extend these facilities, and I think that spreads would widen in response to that. Now, we've talked a lot about these facilities, and they've only bought about 13 or $14 billion in corporate credit, but the backstop that they provide and the confidence to investors that the Fed is willing and able to step in in the event of an illiquidity event like we saw in March, I think is worth about 10 to 15 basis points in spreads. Yeah, and we don't just pull those numbers out of thin air. We, we put out a piece, our, one of our written pieces, that tried to gauge the value of a Fed backstop to the market. It's it's very intangible, but we were able to draw some compelling parallels from the time of the global financial crisis and the emergency liquidity facilities prevalent during that time. So I think we've talked about it in a previous episode of the podcast, so I won't belabor the point, but I agree 10 to 13 basis points in potential spread market weakness could come from a surprise to the market if those facilities aren't extended as we currently expect. And we should note that there is indications that there, that there is a real chance that they won't be extended. I mean, already Mnuchin is on record as saying he thought the municipal lending facility specifically should end at the end of the year. He hasn't made any specific comments regarding corporate facilities or other liquidity facilities, but he is reportedly receiving pressure from some Republicans in the Senate that think that these facilities should come to an end. They're saying things like Congress originally designed these facilities to go away in the CARES Act at the end of the year. Our reading of the bill text doesn't indicate that, but that has been an argument that's been made, among others. Um, so there is a risk there. And it's worth noting that it's not just monetary accommodation that's at risk, is it, Dan? It's also fiscal accommodation. Yeah, so there are f several fiscal programs that are set to expire at the end of this year, including two of the major unemployment assistance programs, the Pandemic Unemployment Assistance Program and the Pandemic Emergency Unemployment Compensation Program. And taken together, there's nearly 14 million people relying on these programs for unemployment insurance. And so if these are not renewed by way of a new fiscal stimulus package before year end, that could result in significant economic loss, specifically coming from lost consumption. Yeah, thanks, Dan. And it, it does seem pretty clear that there is real risk here, both that these programs present a risk to the economy if they're not extended, both fiscal and monetary, and that it would be met with some weakness in risk assets 
if they are not extended. Uh, I think that is pretty clear, especially since it does seem to be consensus that at least the Fed programs will be extended. So why do we sit with our overweight credit view, given that risk in the months ahead? I think the answer there is obviously that we expect these, these facilities to be extended and that the current noise coming out of D.C. that they may not will amount to little more than saber rattling on the part of some budget hawk Republicans in the Senate. And this is actually especially true sort of counterintuitively when you think about how widespread the virus has been in the states in the past few weeks. Uh, if this virus was spreading at uh, you know more average levels or virus transmission rates were lower, you could see a more realistic argument for these facilities to go away. But uh, given how rapidly things have been spreading and the expectation that's going to continue for the months ahead, I really can't imagine any member of Congress or you know member of Treasury championing the issue that stimulus needs to end right now. It just doesn't seem likely. And so it does feel like they'll be extended, but that is certainly the main risk to our view. And now, Dan, if we've covered the risk to the view, I think the next most logical topic to discuss is what is the impetus to the next move lower in credit spreads? Because we've now gotten the vaccine headlines. It was more effective than the market was anticipating by a lot. That's pushed us to new lows, but spreads have sort of plateaued here. What's going to push us past that plateau and get us to the pre-pandemic spreads that we're targeting for year end? So I think the most likely candidate for that is going to be a vaccine dissemination program that beats the market expectations. I think public health officials have been conservative and understandably so with their guidance around the timeline for when a vaccine is going to be available, both widely and to the most vulnerable. And especially given the headlines that we've seen over the past two weeks, it seems more and more likely that these timelines could be beat and that we could see an effective distribution and take up of a vaccine well before we're expecting. And that could bring us to some sort of new normal as early as the first half of next year. Yeah. And I guess that's really the ultimate bottom line here is that we're going to get back to something that I think is resembling normal. I mean, it almost goes without saying that the world will be permanently changed by the coronavirus. But Perhaps those changes aren't going to be as severe or as dire as we thought just a few months ago. If we have a vaccine that's more effective than we thought and mortality rates continue to fall and that vaccine is going to be spread more widely, more quickly than we thought. And I I do agree with you. I think people will become more willing to take it given the efficacy numbers that weren't expected and given so far no significant safety side effects. And even just looking at the experience of the summer, we saw how quickly people sort of bounced back, this pent-up desire to go back to something resuming normal. And that was when there was still a virus. There will always be a virus. But if once you have vaccine and you have more people that have been infected and have natural antibodies, I just think we're going to get back to normal maybe quicker than people expect and more completely than people expect. And the one thing that's going to remain true is that the Fed is going to be there keeping rates very low for the next few years. And this all just paints a picture for very low volatility, very low spreads, and, and an economic rebound that I really think is is what's going to keep spreads very, very low in 2021, which makes the current spread levels attractive, even if they, they weren't where we were hoping to be putting money to work at this time of the year. So Dan, before we wrap things up, I would like to cover the LIBOR SOFA transition here quickly, especially since we got some more news today pertaining to a pre-cessation trigger that I think is pretty important. But before jumping into the news and what it may mean, why don't we start with a discussion on what is a pre-cessation trigger for those that may not be familiar? So 
then a pre-cessation trigger is some announcement from the regulators that at some point in the future, a benchmark rate like LIBOR will no longer be representative. And the reason that we pay so much attention to a possible pre-cessation trigger is that for the purposes of US dollar LIBOR, once that trigger is established, the fallback spreads will freeze in time and we will know what the credit spread adjustments will be at the time of the pre-cessation trigger, even though LIBOR will continue to be published afterwards. Yeah, it is worth stressing that point that no matter if and when a pre-cessation trigger announcement is made, LIBOR will continue to be printed until the end of 2021, and both cash and derivative market products will continue to reference that LIBOR as they always have. But what a pre-cessation trigger does is it locks that credit spread adjustment that will basically determine LIBOR once LIBOR is no longer produced. So it becomes SOFR plus a credit spread adjustment, which we know is the median of the five years preceding the cessation date. And LIBOR will become SOFR plus that spread. Now, since that's how we calculate the credit spread, clearly that five-year period is a major determinant of the credit spread adjustment. And thus, the timing of the pre-cessation trigger is a major determinant of the credit spread adjustment. And just to put that in numbers, currently the market seems to be pricing that the most likely cessation date is the end of 2021. That's when LIBOR is expected to go away. And if that is when cessation happens, the credit spread adjustment that will be used in ISDA contracts going forward will be something like 23.5 basis points. But if a pre-cessation trigger announcement is made at the end of this year, and that credit spread gets locked in Q4 of 2020, the credit spread adjustment for three-month LIBOR becomes 26.2 basis points, a full 2.7 basis points higher than if cessation happens at the end of next year. And we point this out because derivative markets continue to underprice fallbacks if there is a cessation announcement at the end of this year. So if we look at where LIBOR sold for basis futures are trading right now, they're pricing in a fallback of about 23.3 basis points, which is like I said earlier, almost exactly where we project the credit spread adjustment to be if LIBOR cessation hands it happens at the end of 2021. But if that announcement comes at the end of Q4 this year and the credit spread adjustment becomes 26 basis points, we should see a pretty quick repricing higher as the market now prices in the new fair value of fallbacks. And so there is the potential for a quick outperformance of these bases in the derivatives market for anyone that trades that to make a quick profit there. But even for investors that aren't active in derivative space, watching whether or not there's a pre-cessation trigger at the end of this year is extremely important, given its repercussions on really all SOFR-linked assets and liabilities, FRNs, on down the line. So really the question becomes, Dan, is there going to be a pre-cessation trigger announcement? What have we heard so far and what did we find out today? So we know that there could be a pre-cessation trigger announced as early as this year. The FCA has said that in no uncertain terms. It's unclear whether that will happen this year. It seems more likely than not, but it's highly uncertain. The ICE Benchmark Administration said today that it would consult on the intention to cease publication of sterling, euro, Swiss franc, and yen LIBOR. U.S. dollar LIBOR is not included there, but the IBA did say that over the coming weeks, a similar announcement could be made. Now, whether a pre-cessation trigger for these four currencies follows today's announcement is unclear. But Dan, we've been referring to this as a pre-pre-cessation trigger of sorts, right? Yeah, that's the way things have been moving for months now. And even if you look at the FCA's Director of Markets and Wholesale Policy, a man by the name of Edwin Schooling Ladder, he's been dropping breadcrumbs for months that we are going to have a pre-cessation trigger by the end of the year. As early as June, he said, we know that LIBOR will continue until the end of 2021, but announcements about the discontinuation from the end of 2021 of LIBOR settings 
could come as early as November or December this year. Market participants need to be ready for that. Basically, there he's saying we could have a pre-cessation trigger by the end of the year. But in case the market didn't really read through the lines there, he said as recently as October at an online event that market participants, quote, need to be ready for announcements later this year, setting out what will happen at the end of 2021. He then went on to say, quote, the scenario that you need to be ready for is that those are announcements of cessation. So they've been pretty clear this whole time. And then you laid out what the IBA said today. Like you said, it did not apply to U.S. dollar markets, but I don't think we should read too much into that. We've seen this now a number of times from the IBA at various points along the timeline. They've made announcements that have pertained to the non-U.S. dollar currencies first, and then within the next few weeks, they make the exact same announcement for U.S. dollar markets. I don't know why they do that. Could be a trial balloon. Could be there's just more involved with dollar LIBOR. Could be any number of things, but the why isn't so important. We've seen this a couple of times from the IBA now. And so this should really just be viewed as a pre-pre-sensation announcement. And I really think we'll get one by the end of the year. It would fall in line with that one-year transition period that ISDA sort of wanted originally. Now, granted, ISDA and FCA are not the same thing. I'm aware of that. But let's also not pretend that they're not talking very frequently on this stuff. And ISDA originally had wanted a transition period to make sure that market participants were ready and that the transition on the day was going to be very clear. And so this is sort of, by doing a pre-cessation trigger, that's sort of creating a synthetic transition period. Ultimately, ISDA did not go with the transition period, but this would be a synthetic one if it happened. So I think it's highly likely it happens by the end of the year. I do recognize that we're running out of time. It's already mid-November and there's going to be some uh, some interference from the holidays. But even if we don't get it by the end of the year, it seems highly likely to me that it would be very early in 2021. And the key there is, even if it comes in 2021, as long as it comes early, we're still going to have not much change in that 26 basis point estimate of three-month LIBOR. So you know, for people in the, in the derivatives markets, there's an opportunity for profit there right now. For people that aren't in the derivatives markets, just a story that's worth monitoring very closely. Um, quickly on a programming note, we will not have an episode next week, given the holiday. We will be back the week after that. And happy Thanksgiving, everybody. This concludes Macro Horizons. Thanks for listening to Macro Horizons. Please visit us at bmocm.com slash macrohorizons. As we aspire to keep our strategy efforts as interactive as possible, we'd love to hear what you thought of today's episode please email us at daniel.belton, B-E-L-T-O-N, at bmo.com. You can listen to this show and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast provider. This show is supported by our team here at BMO, including the FIC Macro Strategy Group and BMO's marketing team. This show has been edited and produced by Puddle Creative. This podcast has been prepared with the assistance of employees of Bank of Montreal, BMO Nesbitt Burns Incorporated, and BMO Capital Markets Corporation. Together, BMO, who are involved in fixed income and foreign exchange sales and marketing efforts. Accordingly, it should be considered to be a product of the fixed income and foreign exchange businesses generally, and not a research report that reflects the views of disinterested research analysts. Notwithstanding the foregoing, this podcast should not be construed as an offer or the solicitation of an offer to sell or to buy or subscribe for any particular product or services, including, without limitation, any commodities, securities, or other financial instruments. We are not soliciting any specific action based on this podcast. It is for the general information of our clients. 
does not constitute a recommendation or a suggestion that any investment or strategy referenced herein may be suitable for you. It does not take into account the particular investment objectives, financial conditions, or needs of individual clients. Nothing in this podcast constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or a representation that any investment or strategy is suitable or appropriate to your unique circumstances, or otherwise constitutes an opinion or a recommendation to you. BMO is not providing advice regarding the value or advisability of trading in commodity interests, including futures contracts and commodity options, or any other activity which would cause BMO or any of its affiliates to be considered a commodity trading advisor under the U.S. Commodity Exchange Act. BMO is not undertaking to act as a swap advisor to you or in your best interests in you, to the extent applicable, will rely solely on advice from your qualified independent representative in making hedging or trading decisions. This podcast is not to be relied upon in substitution for the exercise of independent judgment. You should conduct your own independent analysis of the matters referred to herein, together with your qualified independent representative, if applicable. BMO assumes no responsibility for verification of the information in this podcast. No representation or warranty is made as to the accuracy or completeness of such information, and BMO accepts no liability whatsoever for any loss arising from any use of or reliance on this podcast. BMO assumes no obligation to correct or update this podcast. This podcast does not contain all information that may be required to evaluate any transaction or matter, and information may be available to BMO and or its affiliates that is not reflected herein. BMO and its affiliates may have positions, long or short, and affect transactions or make markets in securities mentioned herein, or provide advice or loans to, or participate in the underwriting or restructuring of the obligations of, issuers and companies mentioned herein. Moreover, BMO's trading desks may have acted on the basis of the information in this podcast. For further information, please go to bmocm.com slash macrohorizons slash legal. 